right. Please proceed, Mr. Christian. Thank you. Thank you, Judge. May it please the court. My name is Jordan Kushner, and I represent Ochunko Jitifor. And the most pressing question presented here is whether the government can blatantly renege on its plea agreement and there not be any remedy. Well, isn't this a case of how effective is a retraction of the government's declaration that it was going to not keep its promise? Well, I think there are two steps here. One is whether they can even, this is a breach that can even be cured. And if the court decided that it was, then still what they did is inadequate to cure the breach. And so the case law from the Supreme Court and from this circuit is clear that harmless error analysis is not applicable to breach of a plea agreement, that it implicates a fundamental due process right. But didn't you get, I guess, what amounts to specific performance? I mean, he got what he bargained for. It just unfortunately came at a different time and may have had consequences he didn't hope for or anticipate. But he got what he asked for. Well, he didn't. What he asked for was a specific letter from the government, which they agreed to provide, which was negotiated in depth by the parties. And so there was this carefully agreed upon letter after extensive negotiations that they were to send out to immigration authorities right after sentencing. And so that did happen. But then the government sent another letter retracting that letter. So at that point, he didn't get it. But then it retracted the retraction. Right. And so, I mean, so if you're, so we just don't know what that did to the decision makers in the case. My reaction is that the BIA, it isn't really mootness, but BIA dissolved this issue with its May 2023 decision. Well, we don't, again, we just, we don't know what, how things would have changed the sequence of events. There were a number of different motions put in. There were a number of different steps that were taken, you know, between the motion to reopen the case and deportation. Based on the totality of circumstances, the respondent did not show his case presents an exceptional situation that would warrant sua sponte reopening. Yeah. So again, we don't know. And that was with all of these letters before the board. So again, we just, we don't know how the decision would have been affected if the government had just cleanly submitted the letter that they promised. So now we can't do what you asked us to do, which I don't think we could have done anyway, which is order him back into the country. But what, in light of what the BIA decided and you're questioning about, well, we don't know what they based on, what's the remedy now? I think the remedy, our preferred remedy would be order for dismissal of the indictment because the damage has already been done and can't be cured. If the court determined that that was too extreme, then the remedy would be to allow him to withdraw his plea and proceed to trial. And there is a, then the Department of Homeland Security would have to parole him into the United States so he could proceed with the court proceedings. I know 
when the case was scheduled for trial, they were going to be doing that with a witness that was deported. They offered to parole him into the United States, and so they can do the same thing for Mr. Judifor. Um, but he'd, um, like, he'd, he'd yeah. like us to order that he be returned to the country so that he can be prosecuted. Um, yeah, that, opposed to well, leaving him where he is. Well, we, no, I, I don't think the, the the court. Well, if the court didn't order dismissal of the indictment, then they be the court would need to order that he be permitted the opportunity to withdraw his guilty plea, and then at that point it would be his decision whether it was worth coming back into the United States to continue to contest the charges or not. And if he, if so, the court, this court wouldn't be ordering him to come back to the United States, but it would be ordering that he'd be able to withdraw his guilty plea like any defendant in this situation should be, regardless of their immigration status. And I see. So you would want then just to have the case pending, and then the government would have to decide what to do if he's in absentia? Um, yes. I mean, if he, obviously, I don't think he can withdraw the plea if he's not here. So oh, they're going back to withdraw the plea. Or, you know, the court could, could arrange for some kind of remote hearing. I think it would be for the district. I think it would be the district for the district court to figure out at that point. And it wouldn't be, obviously, there's a lot of different scenarios, but it's not like there's, there's no possible solution. I mean, something can be figured out. Um, but the, uh, if he wanted to, withdraw his plea, I think the district court would have to figure out a way to make that happen. Along with the, the government, we would have the power to bring him back into the country if that's what needed to be done. Well, what's your strongest authority for the relief you seek to have this vacation of his conviction? Um, well, the, um, the authority, I mean, the um, you know, the, the, the case law is clear that the remedies for breach of a, a plea agreement are either, um, either specific performance or the opportunity for the defendant to withdraw their guilty plea. And so that's, I think those are the options here. Um, specific performance is too late because he's already been deported. So we, based on that, I think the remedy is to dismiss the case. And there was a, um, in a circuit, well, didn't um, he essentially get specific performance and that he got the letter he asked for, the very uh, same one that was negotiated? Well, again, and that's gay. he got the letter, but then it was retracted, so it put all this confusion in the record. But then the about retraction what the was, was, was well, brought back, so well, that well, well, the yeah, initial I, letter well, the, was there. I mean, the, the die was already cast. The, um, the, uh, the, uh, the so you're saying specific performance is impossible. Right. The Bureau of Immigration appeals got this. They were submitted this letter that uh, talked about Mr. Jitifor's extensive cooperation with the government and acknowledging his fears if he returned to Nigeria because of that. Then the uh, government follows up with a letter that says this doesn't mean anything. This was just one, some USA, AUSA's own personal opinion. And so this is not the position of the office. So they now had this information that this, uh, this previous letter should, was a mistake, basically, and shouldn't be given any regard. So that's in the record. Whoever was involved in making the decision now knows that the government has stated that they didn't take it seriously. So I think at that point... What, what, what that, was that, this that, mysterious decision-maker? The BIA's made a decision on, on the well, motion. Well, at the, at, the time that the, uh, at the time that the case was pending, they hadn't made a decision yet. And so that's the, the problem is that it affected the whole 
Okay, it affected the whole process. Well, but they have, but we don't know what would have happened if the uh, if the government had just straight stuck by its deal. I think, I think their decision makes it pretty clear it didn't, it didn't matter to them because there was nothing in the motion. Um, and, and uh, well, with I, or without the letter, well, I, I don't think we. I think I don't think we were in a position to speculate on that because we, we can't read the judges' minds. And I'd go to Santa Bello. You mean the BIA panel or some judge? I'm not aware. Of, well, I, I would, you know, the BIA, whoever was involved in making the decisions for the Board of Immigration Appeals. We don't we don't know what was in their mind. And I go to I, I point the court to Santa Bello versus New York, the lead case no, on breaches of plea agreements, where in that particular case the prosecutors prosecution reneged on its commitment not to make a sentencing recommendation. That was the plea agreement. And then they went to sentencing and recommended that the defendant be given the maximum sentence. No, but we're talking, rem we're talking specific well, remedy well, here. Okay. By, by the way, I, I don't understand the basis for the accusation that this was an intentional breach of uh, the agreement. Well, the, uh, it seems to me the, the law recognizes uh, the reality of mistake in many contexts. Well, I, what what evidence is there that the, here well, that there was anything but a an internal mistake in the U.S. Attorney's well, office? Uh, well, I mean, it's just outrageous that the U.S. Attorney would discredit or renounce a letter from an AUSA signed under his letterhead without doing any kind of investigation to determine you well, know that, where that it came from sound, and whether that, it was that, legitimate. That's not, that's not doesn't make it. Out, you, you may think it's outrageous in retrospect, but that doesn't make it intentional. It's at least it's at least reckless. I don't. Uh, I mean, I just I, to, I, I, for having you, been around, around a lot of a lot of group, a lot of institutional decision making. Um, that's a bit of a, of a stretch. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I mean, the uh, I can't imagine how a experienced U.S. attorney would just renounce a letter from his AUSA, you know, a very experienced AUSA, and just assume that he was writing something on the department's letterhead he, he just to express his a personal there opinion. There was a plea agreement, which I suspect, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure, was when he wasn't U.S. attorney. Uh, no, it was, well, it was while he was U.S. attorney, yes. Um, he, Does the record show what the time frame is here for the issuance of the original letter, the consideration of the BIA, the issuance of the um, retraction? So the, um, I uh, think the, the motion was submitted. Retraction with the government's retraction letter by Mr. Jitterfor's counsel on November 7th. I think it was like November 14th, give or take a couple of days, that the government submitted its retraction. And then, uh, then a motion was filed by us to, to remedy the breach of the plea agreement on November 28th. And it was in a day or, within a day or so after that that the government introduced its sentence semi-retraction. Okay, um, so it was prompt. Uh, well, after we, after we learned about it and filed the motion, well, yes. And when but, did when but, did the BIA but, conclude its but, review? Um, well, I think they uh, I think they didn't. I can't tell you the exact date that they denied the motion to reopen. It was so, you know some period within weeks after that. I think. But it was yeah. after the government had filed its retraction of its. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, but let me have, I know the time's going here. I, I think there's a couple of critical points to make. So going back to Judge Loken's question about whether it's intentional or not, what I'm, what whether I'm there's any damage done. Did the BIA have the opportunity to see the, the U.S. Attorney's statement that the government stood full 
in, 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 in complete agreement with the original letter? Uh, well, they saw the, they did see the U.S. Attorney's letter. It didn't say it was in complete agreement. It just said we stand by the plea agreement. So there wasn't any clear affirmation that this letter is complete, the original letter is completely accurate statement of our position. It should be taken as our position by the Bureau of Immigration Appeals and any other immigration authority. They just said there was a miscommunication and we stand by our plea agreement. And there wasn't even anything in the record before that the letter was issued pursuant to a plea agreement. So that says something very different than just a letter, you know, endorsing Mr. Jitterford's cooperation with the government. Now it's telling them, well, we wrote this letter because there was a plea agreement. So it's telling them that the letter was insincere. Um, but uh, just, well, just, it doesn't say that. But I, I, you're saying the inference is available. That yeah. We're only sending this because our hands are tied. Right. We don't really, yeah. we really mean the retraction, but we're yeah. stuck with the renegade AUSA's letter, so we're going to send that in. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, exactly. Um, but, you know, in Santa... I don't understand what you ought to... What, what, why the, what the relief would be here. I mean, um, he wants to withdraw his plea, but he's already out of the country. Um, you say he might or might not want to withdraw his plea. He'd yeah. have to decide. Yeah, if the, if the if court... He does, if yeah. he does withdraw his plea, then he's going to have to be prosecuted again. Well, you know, if the... Yeah, I mean, that... He, he might dismiss the indictment, but, I mean, if you don't get that... He might, he might want to. He's waited in jail, spent a lot of time in jail fighting the case. Um, so, you know, he, I think that's his, his prerogative. Again, if the court doesn't order dismissal of the indictment, which I think is the appropriate remedy, then it would be his option whether or not he wanted to take the remedy that was made available to him, which would be to withdraw the plea agreement. Um, if, I, if I could go, go back again to Santo Bello versus New York, which I think really puts the issues in perspective in that case where the, uh, the government reneged on its sentencing recommendation, and the judge in that case said that very clear that the prosecutor's position has nothing to do with my decision to impose the maximum sentence. Santabello versus New York said it doesn't matter because of the interest in justice and the constitutional issues at stake. This case has to be remanded, you know, and the, and the defendant judge. has to be a re has to be there has to be a remedy here. Yeah, and didn't it, isn't that where we came up with this requirement that it has to go to a different judge on remand? I believe so. Yeah, um, our cases always yeah. say we send it back to a different judge, right? Which is, I guess, on the view that the first judge is somehow sure. tainted by the breach. Right. And, and um, I think that's your point here about yeah. the board. And, and I don't, yeah. And then we don't, we can't send it back to the BIA. The immigration case isn't what's at issue here. But so I don't know that Judge Davis is the issue here, except that he erred in denying the motion for a remedy. But uh, but, but yeah, I think that's the, um, but yeah, so in Santabello, even though the judge made clear that this didn't affect his decision, it still got sent back, that there wasn't any way to avoid the requirement that that breach of the plea agreement be remedied. And so I think that's the same thing. It's even stronger here because there isn't any specific record by the BAA that this issue didn't affect our decision in any way. But even, even if you decide that it did, still under Santabello, this is not something that's, that's remediable by saying, well, the government took care of it. Um, the, the proceedings were infected by their statements, 
And uh, as I said, the retraction letter was not a sufficient retraction letter anyway. Um, it obviously wasn't done in good spirits with the intent of restoring things to the way they were before. Thank you, Mr. Thank Commissioner. you. Mr. Nelson. Thank you, Your Honor. May it please the court. The district court did not abuse its discretion in denying the defendant's motion to vacate his conviction and dismiss the indictment based on the government's breach of its plea agreement. And specifically, the district court acted within its discretion for four reasons. First, the government remedies its breach promptly. That is, a day after learning about the breach. Second, it did so unequivocally. That is, it retracted its breaching letter and it reaffirmed its commitment to the defendant and the plea agreement. Third, the government retracted its breach critically before the relevant decision makers, in this case, the BIA, ruled on the defendant's motions. And fourth, the defendant suffered no substantial prejudice from the government's short-lived breach in this case. So under these circumstances, Your Honors, the district court reasonably concluded that the government had cured its breach uh, by voluntarily undertaking specific performance of its obligations under the plea agreement. And because the district court acted within its discretion, this court should affirm the judgment of the district court. I, I do want to start by discussing the standard of review here, because I do believe the standard of review is abuse of discretion. And while this court has said that the question of interpretation of the plea agreements, the question of whether a breach occurred is reviewed de novo, that's not the question here, because the government has conceded its breach. This case is a question of what is the appropriate remedy. And that is an issue that's uh, vested to the sound discretion of the district court and should be reviewed for abuse of that discretion. There are, as this court has said, two potential remedies for a breach, specific performance or withdrawal of a plea. But the decision of the appropriate remedy rests in the sound discretion of the district court, as this court has said in Van Thurnout and Margali versus INS. Well, how is the series of letters specific performance of the original agreement, which was for a single letter without a back and forth and a retraction and personal opinion and so forth? I, I think that it's specific performance because it made clear to the relevant decision makers, the BIA, that the information contained in the first letter was the considered position of the United States Attorney's Office that that was the letter that the board should consider and was being submitted for the board's consideration. So the, the, it essentially reaffirmed the initial letter. And that's what made it specific performance, because that's the letter that was promised to the defendant in the original plea agreement. Well, would the original letter have communicated that there was a plea agreement? The original letter did not communicate that the letter was negotiated as part of the plea agreement. However, as the district court found, there was no promise that the board would remain ignorant of the fact that this was negotiated as part of a plea agreement. In fact, the plea agreement, as the court knows, is a public document filed on a public docket. Uh, so the fact that this had been done pursuant to a plea agreement was not some secret. It wasn't promised to the defendant that it would remain secret. And in any case, the fact that it was done pursuant to a plea agreement is not legally relevant 
to the board's decision. The one case cited by the defendant is in Ray Pickering by the board, which says that the board isn't going to give credit to courts that vacate a conviction solely for immigration purposes. That case in Pickering, in Ray Pickering, dealt with a Canadian conviction that the Canadian court vacated specifically so that the defendant could obtain immigration relief in the United States. The board says we're not going to consider the fact that that was vacated because it was done so for this immigration reason. It says nothing about that the board ignores things that are done pursuant to a plea agreement. There's no legal support for the authority that the board is going to ignore this letter simply because it was negotiated pursuant to a plea agreement. So really what we're talking about in this case is the district court was faced with the question of remedy. The government had already voluntarily undertaken specific performance by reaffirming the original letter to the board. So the question was, was he entitled to any additional remedy? And the district court was within its discretion in deciding that he was not. As this court has said, there's multiple factors that district courts should weigh in assessing an appropriate remedy. And they're fact-dependent factors. They're things like the prejudice to the defendant, the conduct of the government, and the public interest. Those are factors that are for the district court to weigh and that are uniquely within the district court's provenance to weigh and therefore call for an abuse of discretion review in this matter. So in this case, as I've said, district court did not abuse its discretion considering those three factors. Specific performance, as this court has said, is the preferred remedy. That's the remedy that the law prefers. And the three factors, the prejudice to the defendant, the conduct to the government, the public interest, those all support the district court's decision here. There was no substantial prejudice to the defendant. The district court found that any harm to the defendant was speculative. Homeland Security briefly relied on the government's breaching letter in taking a position opposing the defendant's motion to reopen or stay. But the government corrected its breach before the board ever ruled on any of its motions. And Homeland Security also communicated to the board that it nonetheless continued to oppose the defendant's motion for reasons that were unrelated to the government's letter. The fact that it was time barred, the fact that the board had already addressed these same claims from the defendant. And so the prejudice to the defendant in this case, as the district court found, was speculative. The conduct of the government, here again we have another finding by the district court. The district court found that the government's explanation for the breach was, quote, sufficient. We had an AUSA who negotiated this agreement who retired two weeks later. The government learned of the breach on November 27th, and within one day it promptly corrected the breach by retracting its breaching letter. So the government's retraction also, as I've said, was unequivocal. It said the breaching letter was issued in error, it was a miscommunication, and we're reaffirming our commitment to the defendant in the original letter. And as the district court found, the government's response was satisfactory. As Judge Loken pointed out, furthermore, we have a record of what the board considered in its May 8th decision. The defendant said multiple times, we don't know what was in the board's mind, 
We don't have any specific record that it didn't affect their decision, but we do. We have an opinion from the board of May 8th, which said that we have considered the AUSA's original letter, the October 13th letter. The board decision didn't say anything about the breaching letter of November 14th. It focused only on we've considered the record, including the AUSA's original letter sent pursuant to the plea agreement, and nonetheless found that the defendant was not entitled to relief. Again, showing that there's no prejudice here to the defendant. Third factor to consider, of course, is the public interest. And the district court could reasonably find that vacating the conviction and the sentence in this case would result in delay. Uh, it would undo a restitution award, making the defendant's victims whole. And it could result in possible further pretrial detention, if the defendant's appearance were somehow able to be secured, of a person who had already served the completeness of his sentence. None of those things are in the public interest. So given the, the lack of prejudice to the defendant, the government's prompt, unequivocal correction of its error, and the public interest, the district court was well within its discretion in finding that uh, the facts did not support any additional remedy beyond the government's voluntarily undertaken now, let's, performance. Let's, uh, let's for, assume for the moment that uh, we don't agree with that and conclude that um, in these circumstances, the withdrawal of the plea opportunity has to be afforded. Does the government have a position as to how that would happen? Obviously, the, the withdrawal of the plea is complicated by the defendant's removal from the United States. I think if the court were to make that decision, the court would be empowered to vacate the conviction and remand to the district court, at which time the matter would remain pending, securing, pending the ability to secure the defendant's appearance, if at all, uh, before the district court to withdraw his plea and further proceedings uh, in furtherance of that. But again, of course, the government's position is the court doesn't need to reach that. Uh, the court, but, you know, that's <laughs> we need. It would be helpful. I mean, his notion that we could order the government to bring him back strikes me as far beyond our authority. But on the other hand, if if this if an opportunity to withdraw the plea is what the Supreme Court law on breach of a plea agreement requires, how do we do that? What can what can we what can we say? What's the what's the last two sentences of our opinion? I agree with your honor that the court probably is without authority to require his re-entry into the United States. I think what the court can do is pass on the judgment of the district court. It could vacate the judgment of conviction and remand. Well, for he says he, uh, he's not sure the defendant wants a vacator. I heard him say, my guy just wants the option to withdraw the plea. That to me... <laughs> I mean, I don't understand... I, I, it seems like he ought to know by now whether he wants that, but that seemed to be the argument. I don't understand that either. I think that goes almost to an issue of perhaps mootness. If he doesn't want the remedy that this court is empowered to order, then there's no case or controversy really before the court. Uh, so, All right, so you're saying if he commits to, to saying, I want to withdraw my plea, then we could order a vacator of the conviction. We could vacate the conviction and then just leave the proceedings open at that point, you mean? Presumably, Honor. I think that that's all I can imagine that would be an appropriate remedy 
for the court. But of course... So then the indictment would be pending and then the government would just have to decide how to proceed. I think that's right, Your Honor. The court, of course, in my view, need not and should not get there. Wait, wait, if we vacate the conviction, then the indictment... Well, you're saying without... Vacate it, but leave the indictment in place. Yeah. The court, of course, shouldn't reach that issue. Uh, this court has said that specific performance versus withdrawal of the plea, specific performance is the preferred remedy. And what we're talking about here is we're talking about voluntarily undertaken specific performance by the government. And there's no reason why court-ordered specific performance should be sufficient to remedy a breach of a plea agreement, but voluntarily undertaken specific performance should not. And that's why this court should recognize what the district court described as a cure rule, that if the government voluntarily fixes its uh, breach, that's specific performance that the district court, in its discretion, can find sufficient to remedy a breach of a plea agreement. And recognizing a cure rule is reasonable. It would promote efficiency by encouraging the government to correct its errors when it comes to its detention and promotes trust in the government by showing that the government's here to deal in good faith. It will fix its errors. Uh, and it's not barred by, this, by the Supreme Court's decision in Santabello. Santabello dealt with harmless error, which is different from cure. Harmless error deals with when the court is trying to negate the government's breach without the government acknowledging that it had breached. It's a totally different situation that we have here where the government is acknowledging that it's breach and the government is fixing and is committed to uh, correcting its error. As uh, the Fifth Circuit recognized, breach or cure and harmlessness, those are different. And what we have here is a, a cure situation where the government undertook to correct its own error. Finally, the Supreme Court has also acknowledged that cure may be possible in certain situations. A breach of a plea agreement is not structural error. Uh, it is error that needs to be objected to, and one of the reasons the Supreme Court said is because some errors may be curable upon a timely objection, where the government, for example... What case? That's Puckett, Puckett, Your Honor. Puckett, Puckett talks about cure as a reason why forfeiture... Correct. The importance of an objection is because when you bring an error to the government's attention, they may be able to fix it, uh, such as where the government simply forgot its commitment and is willing to adhere to the agreement. And I think we see that more often than... than well, certainly you can see that in a hearing situation where the government has agreed to some recommendation or something. That's correct. I think that's the context you see it a lot, for example, where the government files a sentencing position pleading that in some way doesn't comport with the promises that were made under the plea agreement, realizes the error, and puts in a new pleading before the district court makes a decision saying, you know, we were wrong, here's our new position. And because of this, because of the factors in the case, I think the district court was within its discretion in finding that the government had cured its breach and this court should affirm the district court's decision in all respects. Unless the court has any other questions, that's all I have. Thank you, Mr. Nelson. Thank you. Mr. Kushner, you exhausted all of your argument time uh, in your opening. Uh, unless there's something that um, you heard from the government that you feel an obligation to immediately reply to, um, we'll consider your argument concluded. I do, Your Honor, if I may. All right. 
We'll give you a minute. Thank you. So, so Mr. Jitterfor has expressed to me that he does want to withdraw his plea of guilty. So the issue is not moved. That's what he, he wants to do. Um, but what I was getting at is, you know, when the time, uh, you know, when the time comes, you know, obviously this is dragged on for years and he might determine based on his circumstances that it's just not feasible to continue with the proceedings and, that would be an option that he, I think he would have a right to make, but that's not where he, he's at right now. What, what he's told he me He wouldn't is, have that option. If the conviction's yeah. vacated, yeah. then it's the government's option to prosecute him. Right. And so that's, that's what he told me his intention is he wants to withdraw his plea. Um, so that, that's what he wants. It's not, it's not moot. Now, as far as just the standard of view, there's a distinction between the Deciding whether to do a rem what the remedy is, which was in the district court's discretion, versus whether to do a remedy at all. So this is de novo review. And finally, there was no cure here. The letter did not put things back to the situation where it was before. There's no indication the BI would have looked to see if there was a plea agreement. I, why and, is this de novo review? Because the, the decision was not to, to deny the request for a remedy for the breach of the plea agreement. And the court denied that. Did the court denied that motion. So you're saying only if the 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 argument by the government is that that fashioning the remedy is reviewed for abuse of discretion right. because the remedy is always discretionary. How do you so? But you say if he says, well, no, no remedy, then somehow that's de novo. Well, yeah, well, because on the reason, right? Right. Um, but the uh, if you know, he said no breach, no remedy because no breach. Yeah. That's different than saying no remedy because I conclude a remedy, a remedy, an appropriate remedy is not needed or available. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that it weakens the standards that have been set by the Supreme Court to, to look at it that way. Because again, Sanibello involved, the judge made it clear that it didn't affect his decision and there needed to be a remedy anyway. And so when the court doesn't order any kind of remedy, I think that's de novo review. But even if it's discretionary, there's no reasonable to wait to conclude that the uh, one-line letter from the government, which was kind of a partial retraction, would have been sufficient to put things back to where they were before. Because it's completely changing the re putting, adding these reasons for why it said what it did that weren't in the original letter. There, it's no longer providing this letter to provide information about Mr. Judafor, but it's providing this letter because we made a plea agreement. And I think obviously, I'm not a judge, but I guess if I were a judge, I would certainly look at that very differently than the government said. I take the government at its word when it sends the letter originally that this is what it meant. And if it's now telling me that it's just sent this letter because it made a plea agreement, that would seem to have very different implications. Thank you very much for the extra time. Thank you, Mr.